Dig into left center, and what a play made by the rookie Brian O'Grady. Pitch. Oh, into right field. Brian O'Grady, first big league home run. Fly ball, center field struck well. Marisnik going back at the wall. Welcome back, Brian O'Grady. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 11 of Breaking Bats, presented by Not For Long Media. I'm Brian O'Grady. With me is my co-host, Justin Ayers. It is 10 o'clock in the morning in Japan. Nighttime over there in the United States for Justin. Justin, what's going on, brother? I'm really good, man. We got, we got a lot of cool stuff to talk about, and then obviously we have a great interview coming up later, so I'm really happy for you. For it. Yeah, this week we have Red Sox reliever Matt Strom coming on um cool interview he's an awesome dude uh, i was with him in san diego now he's in boston really good reliever uh cool little backstory different backstory with him he's from north dakota uh so just uh, a little bit of a different path there and um you know he had to really work to get where he is now so an awesome interview we look forward to that but before we get to that uh what do we got going on we got a couple of things around Major League Baseball. The big one, it happened on Sunday Night Baseball. Angel Hernandez, the umpire, had himself a night uh, behind the plate during Sunday's Phillies and Brewers game. It was the bottom of the ninth. Milwaukee was up one to nothing, and Hernandez rung up Kyle Schwarber on a 3-2 pitch well offside, well out, well off the outside corner. Uh, and Schwarber had enough, and he let Hernandez know that he was not too happy with the call. Uh, I looked, and thankfully, Schwarber was not suspended for his massive blow up there. But that wasn't the only bad Hernandez call on Sunday. My personal favorite was there was a pitch to Gene Segura with the bases loaded, and it was six and a half inches off the plate. That's that's a season high. Uh, so Hernandez missed 19 calls. Six batters were rung up on third strikes that were outside the zone. Uh, but this is not just an Angel Hernandez issue. I feel like a lot of times we see around the game of baseball, umpires making brutal calls behind the plate. Uh, obviously, I think back to Joe West, who recently retired. He was, he was pretty well known for that. But Brian, do, do you foresee an automated strike zone getting a little bit closer now that we have these kind of massive umpire blowups? I don't know. I, I hope not, honestly. I, I get as mad as anybody and as frustrated as anybody out there about missed calls or bad calls. But something about an automated strike zone just doesn't seem – right to me uh, angel hernandez that was that was an absolute debacle i mean that there's no other way to put it he screwed schwarber on a wrong schwarber up on another call i don't know if it was the bat before that or if it was just earlier in the game um a similar pitch like a little bit closer to the strike zone actually but a ball nonetheless rung him up so schwarber he wasn't happy about that one right there and then obviously that that situation man you're down they're down one run Schwarber's facing Josh Hader who's are you know arguably the toughest lefty in the game Schwarber's a lefty so you know it's a battle right there and as as a left-handed hitter when you're facing Josh Hader I've only faced him once in spring training but that angle that he's creating you're looking in a certain like tunnel basically so the ball has to start because he he's coming kind of from the side the ball has to start at you or almost behind you 
depending on how you're set up. Otherwise, it's probably going to run off the plate or it's going to you're going to chase that slider that's starting away and, and ending up way away. So Schwarber battles to three, two and takes that pitch that is off the plate. And that's the one that you're saying in your head, you know, if he puts three fastballs perfect on the outside corner, I mean, good, good for him. It's t- that's almost impossible to, to do anything with in that situation. So Schwarber does an unbelievable job, lays off of it, wins the at bat and still gets rung up. And as a hitter, there is just nothing. I mean, that was what he did is just the like perfect pure reaction. That's what it like. That's what it makes you want to do right there. And I felt bad for him. I, wa- I was actually watching it on uh, Sunday Night Baseball here. And I've been in that situation and, and it sucks. And Angel Hernandez is notorious for his strike zone. He is bad both ways. It wasn't a Schwarber thing, but that's what Schwarber was also saying. He's saying, you know, they're bitching about you. We're bitching about you. That means you stink. It's not like one team is saying you're doing great and the other team is mad. In terms, I don't know, the automated strike zone, man, there's going to be weird things with that too. I I like the humans behind the plate doing it. And for the most part, they're, they're good. They're good at what they do. You see the um, – and I follow it on Twitter. I'm sure you do the – the umpire, the scorecards or the audit, whatever it is, you know, for the most part, they, they do a good job. They do. And it, you know, they're going to, they are going to miss. It's, it's part of it, but I don't really, I don't really have an excuse for Angel Hernandez. It's been going on for a long time. It seems like it it's not changing. It hasn't changed. So that's tough, but I'm not in favor of an automated strike zone. Long story short. Yeah, I mean, I, I absolutely understand what you're saying, but I feel like there comes a point where players are just going to finally have enough. Uh, it, you know, I get the human element where, you know, sometimes the, the call works in favor of your team, and when that happens, you're, you're okay with it. But when it's consistently against your team and you're not getting the calls and then you get pitches basically in the other batter's box being called for a strike, and you're right, Hernandez has had a, a multi-year track record of this. He, he's almost become like a meme or like a joke of just like, oh, uh, you know, somebody airmails it behind the catcher. Well, Angel Hernandez would have called that a strike. Like, that's that's where we're at right now with this guy. And I don't know if you saw the video post game where uh, the fans in Philadelphia were letting Hernandez have it as he was in his car driving away. And it's a very funny, like, Delco Philly guy screaming at him, Hernandez, you stink. And Hernandez is in his car just, like, <laughs> smiling ear to ear. This is a man who does not care that he is the worst at his job. And I tweeted it. Nobody else is allowed to be that bad at their job and continue to have it. Maybe weather people, but that's about it. It's, it's pretty bad. Yeah. That video is hysterical. It is so, it, it, it has to be a guy from Belco. First of all, good call, but it is, it is so Philly, the, the way he says it and his act, like what he says, <laughs> Hernandez, you stink. And I don't like you. Like <laughs> I saw that I was dying because he didn't say anything like bad. I just thought that was so funny how he said it. But yeah, it's I don't know exactly how it works with the umps, but once you're there for a little bit, you're it's like the damn Supreme Court. You're just there. Like there's there's no getting ready, man. So obviously that's what happened with Angel Hernandez. Um 
But they, I, the automated strike zone, yes. Players, I think, I don't know. I think it would be split. I think it would be 50-50, honestly, between players who would favor the automated strike zone and players who would want umps there. Because you do build relationships. A lot of them are good dudes. A lot of them are good umpires. You know, but nobody cares. That's that's the thing. The umps, when they're good, nobody cares. Or you don't hear about it because they're that's their job. You shouldn't hear about them. You know what I mean? They're an important part of the game, but they shouldn't be talked about by fans or, or players or anything like that. That's how that's when you know they're doing their job well. You see that you see the scorecard after the game and you're like, holy shit. He was 98% or 99%, you know, then you're like, that's, that's awesome. But in the game, you're not, you don't even, you don't even realize those are the best ops. The automated strike zone, I guess the best argument would be the consistency. And that's the biggest thing that hitters will tell you. They just want it to be consistent. If you're going to make, if, you know, if you're going to call off the plate a little more and we have to adjust that, okay, if you're going to keep doing that and then that it is what it is. If you're not giving the other stuff, then we'll, you know, we can handle that. So I guess that is the biggest argument for it there. But I, I do also think that it's going to, and I think we've seen it in the minor leagues or wherever it's done it already. There's going to be some pitches that would never be called a strike by a human umpire called a strike by the automatic strike zone, whether that's the curveball. That's ending up like in the dirt, um, but is crossing at the right spot. Or I saw I saw a clip. I think it was Charlotte, the White Sox AAA. Um, guy got rung up. The catcher was set up outside and almost dove back inside, and uh, got he got rung up on it. So you know the catcher. It didn't look good, but. I guess in the automated strike zone, it was, it was crossing the right spot. So I don't know. I just, I hope that doesn't come to that, but would I be shocked if it does? No, I would not be shocked, especially because of the, you see how fired up it can get between umps and, and players. So if they want to take the blame off the umps and say, Hey, this is the, the automated strike zone. then I guess they have an excuse there, but I, I don't think the umps want it either. Right. And I feel like even if we do have that automated strike zone and the automated strike zone, let's say it bats at a clip of like 96% effective or 96 or like 95, 96 across the board throughout the entire game, that would just be head and shoulders above. I think Angel Hernandez gets about 77% of his calls, right? And that's like 10% lower than like the umpire average is I think is like 88%. I might be a couple off there, but you, you can't have a, a, a single human umpire transcend the, 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 you know, the profession of being an umpire and rise to the level that Angel Hernandez does. I mean, like you said earlier, this is a man, this is a teacher that has tenure. This is somebody that is just lighting up cigarettes indoors because he knows he can't get fired. That's the level we're at right now with Angel Hernandez. And I kind of would like to see the automated strike zone. So it's, it's tough. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. Uh, we'll, we'll keep it moving right along. So the next big story around the game of baseball was Saturday in the Bronx during the Yankees and Guardians game. Uh, so just to kind of tee it up here, the Guardians outfielder, Stephen Kwan, if, if you didn't see it already, ran into the wall, actually got hurt pretty good on the play. Uh, the Yankees ended up tying the game on that play where, where uh, Kwan ran into the wall. Yankees fans in the stands, uh, they started taunting him, mocking his injury. 
Then Guardians outfielder Miles Straw had enough, and he Spider-Man climbed the wall and got in the face of, of uh, the Bronx faithful, and he started screaming back at them. And then on the next play, the Yankees hit a, the game winner into the outfield. But then the fans just started throwing full cans of beer, trash, uh, really dangerous objects at the Guardians, and it became a whole scene out there. But, I mean, this, I, I don't want to say this is par for the course for Yankees fans, but I don't know. I, I feel like, and, and I think Miles Straw said it best, he said they're the worst fans in baseball. Worst fan base. Uh, I, I feel like it was like worst fan base ever or something. Yeah, worst fan base on the planet. So uh, when you saw the, the actions of everything going on in the Bronx, we were talking about this earlier. Did, did you think it warranted, first of all, a Spider-Man climb and a face-to-face? W- would you ever do that if a fan said something to you? First, first reaction was typical, like, you know, not surprised. They probably, this is my Philly bias coming out too. you know, hand up Philly, New York, whatever. Uh, at first I figured that they were saying a bunch of shit and probably, you know, especially guys who are drinking and stuff at the games, you know, it can get rowdy. They say, things that all, you know, piss you off, things that probably cross the line. And it comes with the territory. For the most part, it comes with the territory. Is there too much? For sure. Uh, Chirping a guy who just ran full speed into the wall. You know, you think you would think that people would draw the line there and and probably not, at least until he was okay and staying in the game and stuff, maybe not talk shit to, you know, maybe like be nice to him or, not say anything until he stayed in the game. And then you, you know, then you say, you can say something, whatever, that'd be kind of funny, but I, I seeing the fan angle of the video where it's right, you know, straw jumps up there and it's right in his face. And he's saying, I think he's saying, hit me motherfucker. That's not a great look. It's not a great look. Uh, And just from what you're hearing, what I was hearing from the fans during that, it wasn't as bad as I was assuming it would be. So I'm finding myself to be not on the side of the fans, but a little, a little more towards that side than I, than I originally was. It's fans can piss you off, especially in opposing stadiums. Um, That's part of what makes it kind of fun. Like, uh, Jock Peterson, if you saw that clip of uh, a guy yelling at him while he was hitting, called him a pussy, and uh, then Jock hit another home run. So that's always like, that's a good one. But uh, you got to learn how to deal with it. You got to learn New York's a little tougher, like Philly would be. Um, I found it best to play back with them if they're going to be really like on you all game to, you know, figure out something to, to mess, you know, go back and forth with. So it keeps it lighter instead of them just hating you or they'll respect you more because you're messing with them or whatever. But back to the story, it's the fans probably cross. I mean, I guess they crossed the line slightly by, you know, saying something to Quan while he was banged up. Straw is defending his guy, which is great. But would I ever climb the fence like that? And no, 
no, it's just not a good look. Nothing good can come of it. Then there's nothing good that can come of it. It's what, what if he, I mean, what if the fan punched him while he's hanging on the fence? What if the fan was all drunk and thought it was a good idea to, I mean, hit him and hit him good. That it's just, then what, (laughs) you know, it's not that fan's gone for life. Sure. But what do you, as the player, what do you get? You're not getting anything out of that. What, I mean, what if he knocked them out like that? It's, there's just so much that can go wrong. I understand he, the moment being mad, but you have to, and I get as mad as anybody. So I get it, but you have to, you have to keep your cool. You have to understand the situation and just, you know, just remember that they're the fans watching you play and, and you're the one out there playing. I think that's very well said. And you're right. I, I did find a transcript from that alternate angle where the fan had the phone right up and it was around and it was hearing what everybody was saying. I looked at the transcript and it was like, you're going to get it, Mercado, stay down, Quan, get mad. Come on, tough guy. Like, I hear that and I'm like, yeah, I mean, you probably shouldn't mock the guy that just like, I mean, I think Quan like busted his face open or something. He got, he got hit pretty good with that wall. Um, but yeah, for, for Straw to do that, I was assuming it would be way more. I mean, the guy did do the, the pussy symbol on in his face. So I think that, you know, that's your whole little water in court for the, for, you know, action reaction. If we're going to be honest, I mean, I hadn't seen that in a while. I know in Boston, it's a lot of middle fingers. Uh, that was, that was a new one for me. Um, but yeah, it, I, I kind of fall in line with you there, but yeah, I mean, but whenever you see a headline, it's like Yankees fans do this. It's like, yeah, you know what? That's ex- expected. Yeah, exactly. And that, the dude, that symbol and John Boy was talking about it. And so was KFC from Barstool. I was, I was dying. Like, who does that? Exactly. It's it's so true though. Like who does that? What what makes you want to do that? It is so stupid. But yeah, I thought uh I guess I guess when he said stay down or whatever, I I don't know. It's a it's uh I'm all for players protecting players, and I'm all for a lot of the times fans from opposing stadiums being annoying and saying dumb shit, which most of the time is fine, but uh I think Straw needed to keep his cool a little bit more there, but I do, I do get him protecting this guy. But uh, you know what happened after that, when the game ended, after the Yankees walked off with the fans throwing beer and stuff on on Who the cares? field. I mean that, yeah, that's that can't that can't happen ever. I, I don't, I don't, I don't get that at all. Uh, I watched John Boy's video of it, who's obviously a Yankees fan. Um, I thought he said it really well. They. They just won the game. They just walked off. Gliber Torres, you know, who's struggled for the last couple of years, has a, a great walk-off, a great bat off Emmanuel Classe, who's nasty. And they win the game. They come back, win the game. And instead of celebrating that, you're throwing beers and whatever at players from the other team. I just – that's it's just it's, it's terrible. There's no excuse for that. I, I I hope whoever if they find the people who did that that they're never allowed back in games. Honestly, that's that's that can't happen. There's no room for that in in any sport. The Cleveland players, you know, again, Mercado and Straw probably should have ran off the field right away too. But 
doesn't that doesn't give any you know it doesn't give anybody an excuse to, to throw stuff at the players and you know it's bad when the Yankees players realize what is going on judge and Cole and Stanton and they run out to right field and are telling the fans to stop so that 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 part more so than the other part is is when I saw I was like what are you know what are we doing it, that that can't happen just bottom line can't happen and one last thing on this, it, you're right. I feel like that's not being talked about enough. The, the, you know, the fans throwing projectiles at the guardians outfield. I remember as an Orioles fan in 2016 in Toronto, a, a one fan threw one beer and uh, he almost said it was Hunsu Kim or, or something for the Orioles. And that was a huge deal. But if you looked at the video, it was just a parade of, of things being thrown. And uh, I feel like we're not, we're not talking about that aspect enough. Uh, as a society there. So not a great look for fans in the Bronx, but yeah, you're right. They won. So it's like, why, why are you doing this? If, if, if there was the other way and, and the guardians walked them off, like you, I'm not going to rationalize that, but it would make more sense uh, in that situation. So uh, yeah, just a bad look all around, but I did want to end on one lighter note. Miguel Cabrera had his 3000, 3000th hit over the weekend. He was the 33rd player all time to join that 3000 hit club. And he's the seventh player ever to have 3000 hits and 500 homers. Uh, when you think back to the illustrious career of Miguel Cabrera, uh, what what memories and what things kind of stand out for you? He's just one of the best there's ever been, man. He is such a good hitter, hits the ball all over the field. His his hit spray chart is a is a thing of of beauty, uh, and obviously his three thousandth hit, he went the other way, ground ball the other way. Um, you know, there's not. That's that's in the, in today's game. That's kind of almost lost its place but not if you're Miguel Cabrera and hit over 300 every single year. So he's, he's phenomenal. Um, love watching him hit, love studying how he hits. Uh, personal memories uh, of Miguel Cabrera. You know, I, I remember when he was that, I, when I was that young and he was that young playing in the world series with that, taking Roger Clemens opposite field after getting brushed off by him. That's, that's one the, uh, intentional walk that was ended up not being an intentional walk. He hit a single to center. That was <laughs> against the Orioles. Yep. Yeah, oh, that the, to have the balls to do that is like next level. I mean, you know, they're just doing like to be in there and be ready to hit and be thinking if he leaves this one anywhere close to the plate, I'm going to try to hit it. That's that takes a special guy for sure. So, I, you know, he is a special guy. But then the one – I'll never forget this. I think I was – I think I was in high school, maybe college. I forget. One of the two. But he was uh, – ESPN game, Tigers versus the Yankees. And in the ninth inning, he had a battle with Mariano Rivera that ended with Miguel Cabrera hitting a homer to tie the game. And – it was just one of the best at bats, if not the best at bat I have ever watched in my entire in my entire life. He, it got us probably like 10, 12 pitches, and you know Mariano's throwing him the cutter the whole time, and Cabrera, this deeper into the at bat, just fouls like three of them off in a row right into his shin like each one cutter inside and he just smokes his shin the last pitch same exact pitch 
But Cabrera, instead of doing his normal stride, he totally strides open, like opens his foot towards left field, expecting that cutter again there, and he hits a homer to left field. So just the adjust to tie the game. So just the adjustment right there off of obviously the best closer of all time. It was just – it's such a good at bat. I got to go back and watch it again. But he is uh, just a, a truly a great hitter, powered all fields, uses the whole field, has done it for such a long time. And, man, happy for him to get 3,000. He seems like a, seems like a good dude and uh, just a great hitter, man. Absolutely. And uh, when we talk about the 3,000 hit club, it's, it's probably going to take a little bit until we get another member into that. I was looking, and the only active players with two thousand uh, with two thousand hits, but fewer than three thousand, is Robinson Cano, who's thirty nine, Yadier Molina, who's retiring, and then Joey Votto, who's thirty eight, and he still has nine hundred sixty five hits to go. It, it's gonna, I don't know, man. So I guess the question here would be, what maybe some of these young stars in the game, maybe a Juan Soto. Do you do you think any of these young guys are gonna be able to eclipse three thousand? I think. I saw a tweet. I think it was John Morosi tweeted that that Manny might have the best shot to do it out of out of everybody from the numbers standpoint. I think he's got over fifteen hundred right now, and he's twenty eight and he's twenty nine. So, but he, I know you're talking when you say like Soto. I'm not putting anything past Juan Soto. I mean, he is as good as a hitter as as there is. I know you. I know you're a big fan of his. Uh, the only he walks so much that that maybe could take away from him getting a couple hits, but he was definitely up there young enough to to do it. So he's he's got time on his side. I don't. It's there's a lot of great players who didn't get three thousand hits. So it's a it's a. It's it's a huge accomplishment. I mean, if you if you get two hundred hits in a season, that's an unbelievable season. So three thousand is two hundred hits for what fifteen at at least fifteen years, something like that. I'm not great at math, but it's it's around you know ten years would be two thousand, so something like that. Um, and I don't know how many guys are getting two hundred hits for that many years straight. So you either got to play for twenty years and mix in some. Close to 200s, but not 200s. Uh, and you, that means you're healthy. There's just so much that goes into it. So you're right. It, it could be it could be a while before we see uh, before we see somebody else get to 3,000. Yeah, people forget just like how long Miguel Cabrera has been playing. You're right. 2003 is when he broke into the league. It's just insane. But yeah, my money is on Juan Soto. 500 hits, and he's 23 right now. So if I'm going to put my money on one, uh, he's my guy. And then there's a couple other guys like Ozzy Albies has a lot. And, you know, Freddie Freeman and some of these guys are a little bit older, kind of in that zone. But yeah, it's we are kind of spoiled with like Pujols and and Miggy and, and all these guys kind of within like the last five years getting 3000. So, um, yeah, we were kind of spoiled in that regard. Dude, nine, so he's been playing for 19 years, like you also have to want to play for that long. All these guys you're talking about now are going to be so rich when they're, you know, when you talk about Soto, he's going to be so rich when he's 26 or whatever it is. By the, t- it, by, you know, 
what's the incentive other than chasing numbers for him to stay around until he's 39 or 40? You know, if, if you don't, if you don't have a family or, or other things you want to do, but that's just, that is, it's a long time to do that, you know? So he won't need money. He won't need, uh, he's won a world series. So, you know, you, you, you need to play for a long time and, and there's, there's a lot that goes into it. So I'll, it'll be interesting to see where Manny ends up. Obviously Manny's, Manny's been great. He's also a good start this year. He's got that contract where he's, Tied in San Diego for, you know, a long time. But if I had to bet too, I think you're right. I think I'd be, I think I'd be taking Juan Soto. He's, he's tough to, to bet against. <clears throat> My guy. Well, uh, that's all I had. Let's, uh, let's kind of tee up our interview for this week. Yeah. So Matt Strom, uh, like I said, Red Sox reliever off to a really good start this year. Um, man, just a, just a cool story. I, I didn't even realize some of his story, um, you know, we met, met playing for San Diego. He was, he was hurt a lot last year. He's coming back off a of knee surgery, but we just kind of clicked right away and uh, had a good friendship, have a good friendship. And, but it, I know you enjoyed it too, because the story of the, the North Dakota thing, there's not too many guys coming from North Dakota playing in the major leagues. I don't know the exact number, but it's not a ton. Uh, I loved when he talked about going back home for winter break from Juco and all he did was throw baseballs into a brick wall. And that's basically what set him on his path to becoming what he is today was him by himself throwing a bucket of balls into a brick wall in North Dakota every day. Absolutely. Yeah. I think he said that he was thrown up against the wall to the point where all of them were, were deformed. Uh, so yeah, you, you know, you hear about all these guys and the throw-in programs and the weighted balls and all this stuff to get your arm. I think he added a crap ton of velocity in the meantime just from doing the wall thing. But yeah, it's I, I feel like I saw it was like the only player from North Dakota that was active at one point. I don't know if that's still the case, but yeah, it, it's just one of those states that you don't even think about in terms of like baseball powerhouses. And for him to get to the levels that he is, I mean, you know, prime time reliever for the Boston Red Sox, that's that's pretty good. So yeah, it was it's an awesome conversation. I'm glad we had him on. Yeah, and with that, we'll send it right over to our interview with Matt Strom, Red Sox reliever. Joining us today on Breaking Bats is Boston Red Sox reliever Matt Strom. I uh, met him in San Diego, or teammates there. Um, just kind of hit it off right away, and now here we are. He's in uh, currently in Tampa, getting ready to play the uh, the Rays at uh, the hotel. I stayed at a bunch there in St. Pete. Um, what's going on, Strom? How you doing, buddy? Not much. I'm doing good. How are you? Just living the dream here in Japan, man. Just got done a game not too long ago and just hop right on here and, and talk to you and J.A. for a little while. Right on. What time is it for you right now? It is 11.30 p.m. Oof. Oof. Grinding. Yep. Just grinding. <laughs> just grinding. Dude, here, here the Saturday games are the worst because – so we play okay. a night game tonight – and then we play at two o'clock tomorrow. So uh, it's like the night to the day, but it's not two o'clock. Don't sound that bad. Yeah. We don't, we don't do show and goes here. We don't do uh, no. that. Uh, that doesn't fly in Japan. So be on the field <laughs> bright and early. Oof. So pitchers are a little different. Game. Yeah. Yeah. Probably a little, you know, a little BP, yeah. 
the whole the whole thing. It's 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 not it's really not that bad, but it makes the two o'clock game much earlier than it probably would be in the United States, you know. Right. No, I feel that. I feel that. But pitchers, man, I'll tell you what, pitchers, pitchers, especially starters here, have a pretty, pretty good life. I'm not gonna lie about that. They uh well, don't they only pitch once a week? Yeah, dude. They pitch um we only play six games max a week, so okay. And then the other games, dude, they don't I don't know if it's if it started with COVID or if it's always been that way, but they don't even like stay for most of the games that they're not starting. They dip really? after like two innings. Yeah. So Jeez. it's, it's Jeez. not too bad for them. But dude, no, I was not at all. I was cracking up because I was trying to remember how we kind of met in spring training. And I think it was in the like in the training room because you were still banged up with your knee. Yeah. But, probably I've been banged up it feels like for the last two years so probably that's well, probably not, where like 60 percent of my uh, teammates have met me unfortunately <laughs> but, I, but I just remember talking to you and then talking to Timmy Hill and oh, thinking yeah. yeah I like these dudes <laughs> dude Timmy Timmy is my homie like I mean he's he's at my house every every other day in the off season he's uh He's damn near like a brother. He's an unbelievable dude. Timmy's the best, man. Timmy's a character. Oh, He's yeah. one of my favorites oh, yeah. I've ever met. We got to get – I didn't even think of that. We got to get him on here one time, J.A. He's, yeah, he's a riot, do. dude. You do. And he's you nasty. Do. Yes, he but, is. But uh, – Yes, he is. I was thinking that, but what it's it was cracking me up because then I remembered the team golf outing that – Oh, me and you, yeah. That... <laughs> me and you didn't play in. So you were just driving me around in the golf cart and we were going all over, but J.A., we Kelly. were with, uh, yeah, <laughs> Timmy, Timmy Hill was driving Keone Kella, who no, had Kella literally. Was driving. Okay. Kella was driving because he, he convinced us. He's like, guys, I want to drive because it's, a, it's just a golf cart on an open field. And he had had his wisdom teeth taken out, what, four hours before, three hours before? Dude. Literally just got his wisdom teeth out, like gauze and everything in his mouth. Yes. Yeah, yes. it was. But yeah, <laughs> we we saw, we somehow let the guy that was three hours removed from anesthesia convince us that he could drive the golf cart. That was uh, Dude, that, that was that was a good day. <laughs> I totally forgot about that though, and I just started cracking up thinking about Keone with the gauze in his mouth rolling around the damn. Yeah golf course there yes yes yeah because i couldn't play because i was still you're right i was still banged up so i couldn't play yeah and then uh yeah dude that was that was that was a day on the golf course for sure that was fun that was fun stuff but but that no. was funny. Then, yeah i was just because i dude key man i key like disappeared with that you know after yeah. he got hurt and stuff yeah just he's uh i think he's in texas working out still with the Padres, yeah. right? I don't think it's a good question, man. I'm not sure, but I that dude's nasty option. too. Yes, he is. He? Yes, he is. Good old key. There's there's another guy right yeah. there. But uh what's uh how's how's Boston? I, I mean we'll get more into it in a, in a yeah. little bit here, but how's uh how's the change been from San Diego to Boston so far? You know, I mean uh it's everything's new but sometimes new is good and it's it's a breath of fresh air and uh you know i'm loving every minute of it this this organization is top notch uh it's only the third organization i've been a part of but uh 
yeah, I mean, it's unbelievable here. It's uh, I, I talked to some players before I signed here, Mitch Moreland, Garrett Richards about Boston. And they, they just, they said how much they love the training staff here and how attentive to detail they are. And uh, <clears throat> with my knee history and all that kind of, kind of sold me on that. And we get here, we have 10 trainers, bro. Wow. We essentially have a, a trainer lot. to every, to every three players. It's unreal. Like, I mean, you walk in that training room, you, you're never waiting. I mean, you know how it is sometimes in a big, big clubhouse. You got one trainer running around taking care of, like, all the injury history from yesterday, and then you got another one taking care of COVID stuff now, and then it's like there's only two guys to help 13 pitchers and 13 players. It takes a bit, but here it's unreal, dude. I love the staff, love everything about it. It's Boston, dude. Like, you can't, like – Yeah. Like, I mean, I, every time I grab that hat out of my locker every day, it's like growing up, there was a New York Yankees hat and then the Boston Red Sox hat. Like that, that's what you knew as baseball as like an eight to 10 year old kid. And now, now I get to put it on every day when I go to work. It's kind of sick. Yeah, dude, that's awesome. And you're feeling, yeah. you're starting to feel, feel pretty healthy now too. Yeah. I, I mean, mean you look uh, healthy. like, so first day Fenway, our clubhouse has lunch, lunch area. And I ran down the stairs yet the like the first second day there. I ran down the stairs and I turned to someone. I was like, yo, I haven't done that for like two years. <laughs> I'm like, I'm feeling good. <laughs> I can run downstairs again. So no, everything's feeling really good. Getting back to I'm damn near hundred percent back to normal and it just takes time. Yeah, man. Well, I'm pumped for you. It's good to see you out there doing your thing, being nasty and healthy again. So can't wait to keep watching yeah. this year, but yeah, take it back. Go see, ahead, J.A. Let's go ahead. What? No, I was going to say, I see you dropping nukes over there, too, doing your thing. Working on it, working on it. I've, <laughs> I've, hit, the, I've hit the wall quite a few times. I don't know where my power has all yeah. gone, but um, hopefully. Well, are you throwing off from kilograms and pounds? Or are you not lifting the normal <laughs> amount because you're not translating it right or what? Yeah, man, it must, that must be it. It's just throwing me off that little bit. I really, seriously, I'm, I'm about, I don't know, a collective two feet from another like four or five home runs. So yeah, I need to, I know it's been really tough and I, and just, dude, just, one, hey, just, just make sure you're standing on second when it goes off the wall. I did. I did. Okay. But I did. I pimp, I pimp one hard, like hard. <laughs> And uh, it hit the top of the wall, and I, I could not – I still can't believe it. I still don't know how that was not – like, oh I don't pimp – I don't – it was yeah. one – it's, you know, it's one thing when you hit it, and it's just a reaction. Like, you just feel it. It's – No doubt. It's – it's a, yeah. So, I did that, and then it hit the top of the fence. So, I don't really yeah. – hand up – another hand up moment for me there. Blew that one. Yeah, but uh, doubles work, too. <laughs> I wasn't yeah. all first base, whatever. <laughs> we'll figure it Just out. Don't get but, caught um, there. <laughs> yeah, trust me. A double, you need doubles. Singles. Yes. Yeah, I mean, singles are good too, but doubles are way better than singles. Exactly. Especially for me. No doubt. But no doubt. go ahead, Jay. Let's take it back to uh, Strom in, in high school and his little interesting Ooh. backstory. Ooh. High school. Yeah, well, actually, really quick, uh, my favorite thing that Brian does is that he plays most of his games in a dome, and he'll tweet out a clip where he hits the wall. He's like, ah, the wind was blowing in. That's always my favorite thing. <laughs> I don't know if anybody else gets a kick out of that or really understands that, but I, I do, and it makes me happy. So please keep doing that every time you hit the wall. 
they got the AC units turned up in there. Yeah, I, I think that I think that joke got lost in translation for for some of my Japanese <laughs> followers, but uh, I thought it was pretty funny. Thanks, <laughs> Jay. That's a good one. That's a good. I one. appreciate it. So that's that's all that really matters. Uh, but yeah, man. So yeah, I was going back and I was looking through a bunch of your stuff, and you talked about in high school. You always said that you were like the third best pitcher, and you said that there's two guys yeah. ahead of you. They threw way harder. Um, it's so interesting that that level of self awareness that you had even at a young age, like what, like even back then, like what did you possess that those other guys didn't? Like what helped you get to the next level, going from being the third best pitcher to where you are today? Yeah, I mean, obviously, the advantage of being left handed helps a lot, but uh, I think it goes back to where, what you said with like this self awareness. I knew, I knew out of high school, I was, I mean. It's not that I didn't dream of playing big league baseball in high school, but it was like self-awareness. I, I dreamed of playing division one baseball before major league baseball was like a real goal. And so I knew I needed, needed to play as much baseball as I could and being from North Dakota, obviously our season's not as long. And so my main goal was to go as far South in college as I could. And I had two offers out of high school and one was an NAI in North Dakota. And then the other was a junior college in, Kansas and Kansas is much further south than North Dakota so packed my bags and went there but uh you know I think it was just it's something I've always wanted to do and I there's a lot of work I needed to do and I just put my nose to the grinder and I I did it that's so funny you you talked about going even further south um and and we'll talk about that but just like growing up in North Dakota you mentioned that the baseball season there is it's so much shorter, obviously, because the winters are so brutally cold there. Like in your mind, when you're growing up there and you're like, I want to go further south, like what was like the ideal? Yep. Were you thinking like SEC country? Were you thinking like like a, a big name school down there? Or like what was kind of your mindset when you're trying to pick a, a spot to go? You know, I mean, my my dream school out of ever since I was like 10 years old, my my childhood bedroom was painted crimson and cream. I wanted to go to OU. I wanted to play for the Sooners and uh that that became a possibility, but uh, I ended up passing on that to go to Nebraska. So it was, it was, uh, you know, my dream was always OU. And then, I mean, grew up and my, my dreams changed eight years later. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. That's, that's so funny that, yeah, that's actually, that's, that's my favorite college team. Um, But yeah, I mean, so you, you go from, you go from that, you go to the Kansas for a tryout I was reading uh, and then yep. it's so funny, like the kind of the sequence of events that happened there. Can you kind of take us back to what happened when you went to the tryout and then what ended up happening after? Yeah. So, uh, it was like KU showcase. Um, I think I paid like 250 bucks to go to this camp. It was uh, a two day camp. The first day was kind of like, uh, like combine setting where like, I don't know, we, we feel the ground balls from the outfield, threw them into some, I, I, w- I went as a two-way guy, an outfielder slash pitcher. And, like the first day was like a bunch of drills and all that. And then the second day we played a scrimmage, got a pitch one inning, and uh, I got three at-bats. Um, I actually I actually thought when I got recruited from the junior college that they wanted me to hit as well. That day I went, I was three for three with two doubles that day. So I was like, you know, I figured, figured they let me hit. But, uh, yeah, they, uh, they liked my arm from the outfield. I hit 83 from the outfield. I was 79 on the bump. So, uh, I guess nice. I don't know what they saw, but they, I mean, they, they saw something and it worked out. But, uh, yeah, I remember my parents, we packed the car. We drove 10 hours, paid 250 bucks, tried out. And I, I got 
one college coach talking to me, and that was the coach I ended up playing for. Damn, I would have loved to. I would have loved to see that. I'd love to see you swing the bat. I don't think I saw. I definitely didn't see that. Get to see you. No, you didn't. No, 2019 though. I got a few. I got a few hits. My first hit in the big leagues was a double off Wainwright. So that was kind of wow. Cool. There yeah. you go. Yeah. See, you always no, I, got that. I mean, like you know, you know how pitchers always say, like, "Oh, I could swing it," like blah blah blah. Like, there's so many pitchers that say that. I, again, self awareness. I can't swing it, so I know I'm going to hit a single. Like, I can hit a ball, and we all know how hard it is. I just feel like I got hand-eye coordination to hit a ball. But when I'm in a box, I have no intentions of leaving the yard. So it was my approach was hit a hit a line drive over the second baseman's head every time. And, you know, it got me a few hits in the big league, so it works. That's all that matters, man. Yeah. That's crazy, though. Was it growing up in North Dakota like that? Yeah. Was it just hard? Did you think it was way harder or you were at a disadvantage compared to other guys uh, from growing up I mean, in a small town like yeah. that? Like growing up, obviously, like I didn't really realize how big of a disadvantage I was at until I was about 13 or 14 in my travel ball team. We went and played in uh, a tournament down in Omaha during the College World Series. It's called the Battle of Omaha. And we got there and our first game, we played the 18 and under Team USA. Yeah, and it was our Legion team. I was 16 years old, and this kid gets on the mound. He's 16 and 96 by me. And I'm like, what the heck is this? Like, this is real life. Like, kids throw this hard. Like, no way. And, uh, you know, from, the, from that day on, I was like, what I'm doing up here isn't nearly enough compared to what those kids down south are doing. And uh, about that time is when I kind of – shifted baseball full-time like year-round um you know sophomore year of high school I ended up getting cut from basketball and then it was uh you know then it was full focus on baseball and I mean I I tried to play as much baseball as I could it wasn't really game wise but just like getting in the indoor cages throwing all that all sorts of stuff but uh yeah I guess just because I grew up there I didn't realize how big of a disadvantage I was until about 14, 15, 16 years old. That's so funny. Yeah. It's yeah. West Fargo, not, not Fargo. So yeah, I, no, I, I, no, found, yep. I found that very interesting. There's pride, there's pride in that. Really? Is, is there a big West Fargo Fargo rivalry that we're not aware of? Well, so like, yeah, people, people tend to clump us in with Fargo. They're like, well, you're just West Fargo. It's like, no, we're our own city. We got our own mayor. Like it's, it's our town. Like, like Fargo's Fargo, there's Fargo North and Fargo South, which is all Fargo. And then uh, you got West Fargo, which we're our own city. So uh, yeah, there's there's a little rivalry there. Did you kind of like embrace the, your, your kind of small town roots and you're kind of like, because you're, you're, I imagine living in North Dakota as long as you did, there has to be like you're talking about, like a certain level of pride. And, and I feel this, I'm from a town of yeah. like, like 1500 people on the Eastern shore, Maryland. It's like, I love where I'm from. Did you kind of like carry that with you from every stop along the way? Yeah. I mean, uh, I don't want this to sound bad. I wouldn't say like, I'm, I'm super prideful in like, I'm super prideful in the fact of not many, not many people have made it in the big leagues from North Dakota. So like the feat to do it in a, in a state that, snow is on the ground seven months a year like it's I, I feel I feel a sense of pride in that but uh I mean 
the last five years I've spent six months in San Diego since the other six in uh, Arizona. So I've, I've kind of, kind of gotten over the cold weather. And, uh, but uh, no, I mean, I'm an outdoorsman. I love North Dakota. I go back every year, but uh, I don't see myself living there. That's, 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 that's for sure. They, uh, well, one last thing kind of sticking on this, it was just like when you got drafted by the Royals, they, they kind of send you to some of these weird far out kind of places like, like Idaho falls and, and Springdale, Arkansas. Like, did, did yeah. you enjoy, like, you, you know, you're an outdoorsman, like you just said, and you're from a small town to begin with, but did you, did you yeah. wish that you had kind of went to a little bit more glamorous locations or were you kind of like, I'm just happy to be here? Nah, you know, I mean, definitely a sense of like, just happy to be here, but uh, Idaho Falls, actually, that's, that, that league is one of the, one of my favorite leagues we played in. Some of those, some of those towns are unbelievable. Missoula, Montana is one that sticks out in my head that I love, love to visit Missoula. Um, just the, the vibe of the town, it's kind of got that college vibe with the small town vibe. And uh, I don't know, it's, it's got the, the outdoorsy feel too. Like, I mean, there was a river from our hotel that you could float to the clubhouse. Granted, we only did it once because we got our asses chewed for doing it. It was, it was unreal. Dude, that place is the best. I, Justin, yeah. that's the league. That's, I play at the Pioneer League. It's unfortunately not affiliated baseball anymore. But, yeah, I was in Billings, and yeah. Billings was sick. Um, Which one's the Osprey? the osprey is that i think that's missoula yeah yeah because that's the place that the river goes right by the clubhouse yeah 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 so we floated we floated that thing the very like our first day in uh missoula we had a couple kids with the with the chuckers that had repeated the level and they were there the year before and they knew about it and they're like yo like let's run to this I can't remember. It was like this local grocery store, maybe like an Albertsons or something like that. And we picked up these little pool floaties, blew them up in our hotel room. We threw, threw our clothes on our back and then we jumped in the river and floated. We, we got there like, I don't know, we made it in time for stretch. It was like 25 minutes before stretch, but we made it. We got our ass chewed by the manager, but it was, it was, it was fun. Dude, you got to. I, I didn't do it in, in Missoula, but on our off days in Billings, we usually floated the river and it was yeah most of the time was a lot of fun one time i almost died because i thought i could go under a branch and it didn't work out very well but uh oh buddy (laughs) yeah it was that was that wasn't a great decision but that that league man it's it's just you know i was from born in philadelphia lived there for a while and grew up right outside of it so like being out that way was Oh. totally different for me so i i thought it was really cool culture shock no doubt yeah awesome. other than the some long bus rides there but other than that yeah but a lot of times too man it was if you paid attention it was beautiful like when we drove from billings yep. to grand junction or orem utah i'm like looking out at the mountains and shit like holy this is fucking wild yeah yeah orem and ogden the backdrop backdrops to those fields are top 10 in baseball yeah. in my opinion with the mountains back there it's unreal yeah they're cool and Missoula, yeah we we when i was in billings we won we won the championship and uh okay, sick. we clinched we clinched the second half in missoula so what it's university of montana is there ja so yep. we uh we celebrated that night 
and school was back in session there. So it was a pretty, it was a pretty fun time in, in Missoula. Yeah, but uh, I bet. good times. I bet. Um, man, that feels like it was so long ago. Dude. <laughs> right, so right. long ago. It's Those were wow. Back before the days of like food being there for you and stuff. Yeah, at the clubhouse. Eleven years, no. dude. It's crazy. When you were excited, but, uh, when you were excited that Nutella was on the spread table, oh it was God. like, yes, not peanut butter and jelly. We got Nutella. <laughs> Hell yeah! It's like what? I still love Nutella. I don't care. Still love it. Love it. Um, when did? So when for you was it in college or once you got drafted and were in the minors? When did you kind of realize that you could be pretty fucking good and and really do this? Yeah, you know, uh, I mean, my freshman year of college, my coach will tell you, he, he's been there now for like 35 years, but when I was there, it was probably like 25. And he'll tell you, I was the first kid in 25 years he told to go home, like that he, he almost cut. Our, 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 so we, we would scrimmage. Our junior college is weird. Most junior colleges play like a fall schedule against other teams. Our JUCO didn't do that. We just scrimmaged against each other, and our coach would do – like rankings amongst our team and we had 37 guys 24 pitchers some of them two-way guys and the first rankings that came out I was ranked number 23rd the 24th pitcher hadn't pitched because he was in the hospital peeing blood from our conditioning test so I basically took second place in a one-man race there so it was uh, oh my goodness yeah, and uh, he – I remember he called me into his office one day, and he had the pitching coach in there that recruited me. And right in front of me, he asked him, he's like, were you drunk when you recruited this kid? Right in front of me. Like, my my junior college coach is ruthless, but he is, an unbel- like, brutally honest. That's all he is. Like, it's it's all out of love though like I don't know how to explain it like he he's the kind of guy that chew your ass and get into your shit and then three minutes later you guys are back to shooting the shit and being friends like he's just he's just got that about him and uh that kind of that kind of little fire under my ass the second week of rankings and lo and behold about a month and a half later I was ranked number six and then when we came back from uh Christmas break I I mean, I threw every single day into a brick wall at home inside. And I had this little piece of red tape on this wall at this training facility. They kind of, they trained soccer and they had just a space for me to throw. And I, I threw a bucket of balls. I mean, by the end of Christmas break, all my balls were lopsided, like none other, because I'm just throwing them up against a brick wall. And uh, I probably left, I left school probably throwing like 84, 86. And then I came back. And I was 88, 90, would hit 91 my freshman year. And then, um, yeah, from there I kind of knew, like, okay, I can, I can maybe get drafted out of here next year. Like, 90-mile-an-hour lefty, like, that, that'll play. And then my sophomore year, uh, I went to – we have – our junior college has a showcase. And, again, it's all – it was all – D1 focus at this time like I want to go D1 I want to go D1 and in my showcase I threw my bullpen and I hit 93 in it in a bullpen so it was like that was awesome all of a sudden I I had dang near every D1 school calling asking blah 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 whatever and then 
I would say the start of my sophomore spring. Um, my first outing, I had, I think it was like 26 scouts in the stands, college and pro. And uh, from there, I kind of knew like, okay, like pro ball's a thing. But uh, I didn't really know how successful I could be in the big leagues until I would say after Tommy John in pro ball. When I, when I came back from Tommy John, uh, I would say like my first two months post Tommy John, like in games actually. So like a year after Tommy John, I was like 88, 90, just not trusting my elbow. And then my pitching coach sat me down and he said, Strom, he's like 88 to 90 mile an hour lefties grow on trees. Like, like if you don't start trusting it, they're going to, they're going to release you and move on. The two days later I pitched in a game, I hit 97 and I struck out nine of 10 batters. It like, you can, you can ask anyone I played with in the minor leagues. They'll tell you it was like a light switch. Like Strom goes out for an outing. He's 89, 91. Two days later, this kid said, fuck everything. And I didn't throw a fastball under 95 and I punched out nine of the 10 batters. The one batter I didn't strike out, I got him 0-2 and hit him with a curveball. Pissed me off. <laughs> That's awesome. But yeah. That's <clears throat> so you so you're telling me it started by throwing some balls at a at a brick wall back in West Fargo, North Dakota. Yeah. Just uh yeah. I I I gained probably four to six miles an hour that like Christmas break just by playing catch with myself, not having a catch partner. It was unreal. That's fucking awesome. See, but mm-hmm. See, what's so cool about that is is how many people would make up some fucking excuse about that and not do that. And here you are telling everybody who's listening that basically that's what got you going to where you are now. Yeah. I mean, I've always just – I've always picked, like – I mean, when I showed up freshman year, I picked, picked a lefty that threw harder than me and was better than me, and it's like, I'm going to chase you down. Like, yeah, you're my teammate, but – still going to chase it down. Like that's, that's kind of what you got to do until, I mean, you know, it too, in the minor leagues, it's you're, you are competing with your teammates, which sucks, but part of it until you get to the big leagues. And then once you're in the big leagues, the only thing that matters is winning. If you're winning and doing your job, you're going to stay here. Yeah, that that's, that's fascinating. I I read a great quote that I wanted to get your take on. It was from Ned Yost back in the day. He said about your pitching style. He said he he attacks, he competes. He doesn't look like that. He's nervous or he's out of his element. Like that, first of all, that what a compliment to receive from the manager of the Royals at the time. Like, has that always kind of just been your mentality though? Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, especially in pro ball. um, I mean, I was a 21st rounder. So when I got to the big leagues, it was like, I'm playing with house money and come get it here it is um you know it's it's yeah i'm just i'm grateful for every day and competing competing is something i i legitimately live for and that's i mean pitching is i'm especially as a starter so like i love the starting aspect of pitching because you get to go out there and compete a hundred times like every pitch you get to compete at least for a hundred times i tell ac and bushy here i say my main goal is to do three pitches or less every at bat because I want to be able to pitch every night. And with that being said, I'm going to give up Oh, two hits, but it's, I don't know. I just, I'm, I'm going to compete every pitch. I'm just, that's, that's what I do. <laughs> I love that. I, I did. Oh, Brian, do you have something? No, go for it. 
Okay. No, it was just like, so when you did get to the big leagues, you, you know, after you overcome all this adversity, all, the great comeback that you had, the, the increased velocity, I read a great story that you, the first time you, you pitched at Fenway, you had to come in, you had to face David Ortiz, which yep. was obviously like the hitter of our generation. Like, what do you remember about that? And just like, were you nervous at all before? I mean, so yeah, that there's like two big league at bats. Like I, like, I mean, I always say I black out when I'm out there, and there's two big league at bats I can remember pretty vividly, and that that's one of them. Uh, and just when the when the bullpen gates open and you're running into Fenway, not wearing the the red and navy blue, uh, you're the biggest piece of shit on earth in that in that stadium. <laughs> and uh, you know, I I remember just the booze raining down, and like I live for that shit. Like I love that, and. Uh, if I remember right, when I came into the game, I think we were down like four or five. So like really bases loaded down five, like, yeah, there's pressure, but it's like, yo, down five, what's the difference fucking down five or down seven? <laughs> like, here we go. I'm going to, I'm just, I'm just going to throw it down the middle as hard as I can and see if I can blow it by big poppy. And uh, I did not blow it by him, but I did get a double play. It was like, 109 off the bat or something and it was a, a 6-3 double play so worked to my advantage that's a win right there dude double play yeah no, so, no you don't doubt. gotta tell anybody how hard he hit it i wouldn't hey man david ortiz has lifetime zero batting average against me the shit was there hard as go. hell but it's a zero <laughs> <laughs> that's why you got fielders out there bro who cares yeah you just yep. tell everybody exactly. you broke his bat yeah broke his yeah. bat in half double play and it was still 109, broke his bat. <laughs> that dude, that dude hit balls so hard. Yeah, but that's I don't like some guys act like they have never been not starstruck, but there's just certain dudes when you see them when you first get in the big leagues, or even if you've been in the big leagues for a little bit and you just see them and you're just kind of like, holy fuck, it's big poppy. Or you look in there and you're getting ready to throw a big poppy, you're like, it's big poppy, yep. you know, like no that that was fucking... that was that was Joe Mauer for me growing up as a twins fan and watching him like that's the other at bat I remember pretty vividly. I uh so Joe Mauer, quick little background story of him. He's a, a Minnesota high school baseball legend. He played four years of varsity baseball in high school. He struck out one time and it was a foul tick into the catcher's mitt. <laughs> in in four years, in four years of college, he struck out one time or high school, sorry. And uh, so I struck him out looking and that's like the biggest feather in my cap that I take because, you know, it's just his discipline. But if you go back and look at it, it was ball four and a three, two count. He, he got rung up on a ball off the plate. So, <laughs> Hey, but same thing, man. You don't yep. listen. The ump, the ump said strike. So that's yep. all. Of Trust me. I would have, I'd have about a thousand more walks and less strikeouts in my career if, if I got the pick if it was a ball or strike each time I, I right. looked at it. But here we are, and I don't get to do that, unfortunately. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's awesome, though, dude. Yeah, dude. Bauer was a he was a he was a football stud too, wasn't he? He wasn't just a baseball yeah. stud. I'm pretty sure he was like a top, yeah, like top think, quarterback or something. Yep, I think he was uh, committed to Florida State. He was a top yeah, football recruit. So yeah, he's a, he's a freak athlete for sure. So you get, so you got to run out of Fenway back then and now you've gotten to do it so far this year. What's it been like so far playing? 
I've been to Fenway. We played at Fenway, but it was the COVID year. So I didn't, you know, yeah, nobody yeah, yeah, was yeah. there. It's what's it? I Not mean, it. it was still sick to be there no matter what, but what's it like being on the Red Sox playing in Fenway? Just yeah, like I mean, that, man. So like, obviously just had the homestand. I spent a week there, but uh, those seven games, dude, like the atmosphere in Fenway is like, it's unmatched. I mean, we played a Thursday day game yesterday and in the ninth inning, we got the tying run on third and you got 27,000 people on their feet on a Thursday afternoon game. Like how many other places does that happen? It's Not just, many. it's, you can't, you can't explain it. And then, I mean, every day coming out of that, coming out of our dugout and just seeing the monster, it's like, damn. This is the this is the field I always used to play on in MVP 2005 or whatever it was. You know, it's like it's just it's surreal. It's surreal. It's on. There's not words to explain it, dude. Like I, I don't know. It's unreal. I think if I got to pick a team to play for, I think I think I'd pick Boston. I really do. I think that would be the squad. Yeah. I mean, it's it's Sorry, unreal. Philly. You know, you definitely know I ain't picking the Yankees because I gotta cut my hair. So it's just it's gotta be Boston. Gotta be Boston. I love that. Speaking of the Yankees, though, uh, I, I watched the, the Sunday night baseball game where you guys were playing them. And on the broadcast, they, they highlighted the fact that like you pitch off either side of the rubber or depending on like the hitter and the situation. That's that's fascinating yep. to me. Like, have you always done it like that? And then they mentioned the fact that you might run into problems with like the different landing areas, like pitching off either side. Has that ever been a problem yeah. for you? Uh, so I started doing it in 20, 2019. 2019 or the beginning of 20 yeah it was 2019 started doing it 2019 um I've always been a reverse splits guy lefties have hit me better than righties and I've always only pitched on the third base side and uh Darren Balsley brought it up to me he's like hey he's like let's just try over here he's like it's a better angle against the lefty you're kind of starting behind them and uh you know I had had pitching coaches in the past that always wanted me to pitch from that first base side and I had tried it but then I struggled against righties a lot um and then just coming to learn about like angles and like just pitching with angles and stuff. Uh, I've learned when I'm on the third base side to a righty, everything starts in zone to out of zone. So everything out of my hand kind of like gets them in swing mode right away. For a lefty, when I'm over there, everything, so everything runs back into a lefty for me from the right side. So they're just, they're seeing it longer. So now if I can get on the, the first base side, I essentially have like O'Grady would be looking back at me. He's got to look over his shoulder to pick up the ball, which I would assume is a lot more uncomfortable than being able to just square up and look at me. So it's, it was just all about creating the angle. And then, you know, I don't, I don't worry about a landing spot. I'm a reliever. So the mound's usually tore up by the time we get in there and you just got to pitch with what you have. And it's, I mean, it is what it is. No, that's the truth, dude, because then, yeah, I mean, I either got to look over my shoulder, like, big yep. time, or I have to adjust my angle, which could throw me off totally, too, because you're right. so – it's like it's like sale. Or yep. you know, I'm, I can't think – maybe hater. I, I can't think of other guys off the top of my head, but sales coming at you so far that way. Like, yep. you have to – if you want any chance against him, you're going to have to – 
change your angle or, too and, and did you adjust, ever, did you you ever face timmy did you ever have to face timmy in inner spot dude we talked about like, this it was it was so long ago i haven't so jay I, timmy timmy hill is i don't even know if, if you know who he is but he's he's lefty like almost submarine and he throws like 91 from down there he fucking throws that shit and he's, he's been up lanky. to 90 he's been up to 96 from there 90s well that's a joke anyway. i mean he usually is like 92 he'll usually 92. be like 92 but like when he's feeling froggy it's like a 94 95 and it it can't be comfortable dude it just can't dude, he's he's long and lanky and just whippy with that thing and mm-hmm. i faced back to the pioneer league i was feeling pretty good in the pioneer league short season and timmy timmy and strom came up together through the royal system too so yeah. We're, play, we're playing Idaho Falls in Billings, who was the Royals teams. And I've been I've been hitting pretty well. And this dude, they bring in this this lefty, like fucking submarine sidearm guy. And, you know, in my head, I'm like, I don't give a shit, whatever. Let's go. Yep. And uh proceeds to throw me three pitches. I didn't even like see them. They didn't even fucking see them. They're just like yep. I, I'm so yeah. confused. True. Strike out. Like walking back to the, uh, I guess the dugout. I'm like, who the fuck is this guy, and why the fuck is he not in the big leagues right now? Like, get yeah. him out of here. What was that? And he's disgusting. Wasn't wasn't there the next day? That was the only time I saw him. That one at bat. Fast forward to this spring, and I'm in the dugout watching Timmy throw for the Padres, standing there with Strom, and somehow in my head the dots connected. Yep. And I told him this story and he was strong. It's like that was absolutely Timmy. Yep. So that was the only time I faced Tim Hill way back in 2014, but couldn't see yeah, the ball. So. so probably can't see it anymore either. <laughs> <laughs> Not at being, all. Being a lefty though, like did you ever experiment with different arm angles? Like it's kind of the way you experimented with pitching off either side of the rubber? It's funny you ask that because uh about a week ago I just started messing around with it. Uh Rich Hills, obviously a new teammate of mine, and I've admired the hell out of him and his career. Um, I mean, I've used I've used his name for the last five years in interviews when people ask me if I like starting or leaving. And I've always said I've always said if I have to Rich Hill it, I will. I'll pitch however they want me to, and then at 36, I'll come back and be a starter just like he did. And uh, I mean, he's 42 years old, still doing it, and he's doing it by you don't know where that arm is going to come out of. He drops down sidearm. He's over the top. He's in between and he's just messing with timing and angles. And uh, I started messing around with it about say like two and a half, three weeks ago. And I've just been throwing it in flat grounds. And I mean, you might see it. You might see it this year. <laughs> Bro, it's just another and, tool. I mean, why not? Or you just, and I, you say, fuck yeah, it and scrap it. Exactly. And I play cat. Tim Hill's my catch partner, so uh, I got 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 enough visual experience that I think I'm a visual learner. So uh, kind of pick up just for play catch with him. Dude, talk, yeah, great guy to learn it from. Rich Hill, shit, man, he's how old is he now? Still doing it, forty two, forty two years old, twelve years of service, dude. Still, still doing, doing it. it, bro. Still doing what a, it. Yeah, that's another great story right there. But yes, it is. Um, yeah, dude, it's not fun as a hitter to have to guess which fucking way you're going to go with your arm this time if you if you can figure right. that out so that would yep. yeah that's not fun but 
before we get to the your cards and the, yeah. that hobby and everything you got going that my last question about the Red Sox in baseball right now is yeah. what's it like playing in that that rivalry between the Red Sox and the Yankees yeah I mean dude opening day in Yankee Stadium, I can't that has to be that had to wearing, be insane dude wearing I mean I I'm getting goosebumps just talking about it but uh yeah I mean that was an unreal experience um I cannot wait to experience uh, Red Sox Yankees in Fenway. Um, I mean, just watching that wild card last year, that, that was unbelievable. Just, I mean, from my living room. So I can only imagine what it's <laughs> going to be like sitting in, sitting in the uh, bullpen. But uh, I mean, when you think of sports, I mean, at least when I think of sports, I can't think of a much bigger rivalry than Red Sox Yankees. And uh, again, it's just, it's surreal to put that hat on every day and, and get to be a part of it. So. It's awesome, dude. It's I, I again. I don't have words for it because unless you experience it, you just you don't. I mean, you take it for granted. To be honest, like sometimes it's just like, oh, I gotta go to work. Oh no, dude, I gotta go to work as a Boston Red Sox. It's pretty sick. Pretty sick. No doubt. That's fucking awesome. Uh, yeah, I mean, just the best rivalry in sports, bar none. Um, but yeah, yeah, Brian brought it up, like. So I, your, your hobby of collecting sports cards, it's fascinating. The hobby has obviously exploded in popularity recently. Um, like, when did you start to get into them? And then, like, what would you recommend for novice guys such as myself that are looking to break into the hobby? Yeah, I mean, so as a kid growing up, um, I mean, most of my collecting was, like, the tops full sets and stuff. And uh, I would, I mean, I was big into just grabbing out all the twins cards, and then I would trade off. I would trade off all my other cards for anyone that would have any cool Minnesota twins cards that I wanted. Um, I'd go to like the local card shops and buy uh, like the North Dakota guys like Ersted, Rick Helling, Travis Hafner, stuff like that. And then I would say, I would say like by the time I was like 11, 12 years old, I kind of got into Pokemon like all of us did there for a little bit and kind of got away from sports cards. And then, Went to college, didn't really get into it. And then in pro ball, um, I don't know. I just, I, I regret it tremendously, but I didn't want to be the guy that was collecting his teammates in minor leagues. So I never really got back into it. And then in 2018, my brother, who is the biggest entrepreneur you'll ever meet on anything. Like, I mean, this kid was flipping free couches in high school on Craigslist. So like he just, he does anything. And he was ripping these boxes and uh, he was living with me in the off season. And one day coming home from practice, I stopped at target and I grabbed a few of the boxes. And like the second one I opened, I hit a Tatis to 99 rookie card. And from that day I've been hooked. And like, I call myself a pack rat. I, I mean, I'm not into like buying the thousands and thousands of dollar cards and having them I just I like the boxes and the thrill of opening the boxes and seeing what you have in them and I mean that's that's kind of what I do but for for collectors I mean it it all depends like so many people are looking at the hobby now as like an investment side which is cool and fine whatever but uh that's not what the hobby is to me the hobby to me is just like collect who you want for me it's it's my teammates so Grady knows like I, I get cards of my teammates and have them sign them and uh, a little fun collection I do, I, uh, I collect a rookie card of everyone who's ever taken me deep in the big leagues. So that's, that's kind of my one fun collection I do. 
but otherwise I'm just a pack rat and my teammates. So, but collecting the advice I have for collect, if you want to be collect what you like, like don't get caught up in the, someone telling you, well, that one's not worth anything because it's from this set. Like it doesn't matter if you like the card to me, like that's all that matters. And like, just collect what you like. That's fascinating. You brought up the monetary part of it because right. Cause I have a bunch of friends that are into it that kind of look at it almost as if it's like, you're right. Just like a, a long-term investment. Like, Oh, you don't yep. want that one. It's not good. It's like, you got to get the, the prospects and blah, blah, blah. Like, yep. so, so you said to, to not do it like that. You just collect what, you know, what I'm personally into. Yeah. It's, it, it's not, not to do it like that. I don't think there's any wrong way to like be in this hobby. Um, it's just like, I don't know. Like, I mean, I know when I'm done with baseball, like I, I do somewhat enjoy working out. I hate lifting legs. So when I'm done with baseball, I will never do a leg lift ever. Like I just won't. But I mean, when it comes to card collecting, I don't like spending five figures on a card. It just, it turns my stomach. Like I hate that. So I just would never do that. Um, but it's, there's no wrong way to do it. Um, it you got to You got to, you got to come to terms with what you want to get out of it. I want to have baseball cards to me are stories. So I want to have a box of cards and no disrespect O'Grady, but it's like if in 30 years, if an O'Grady card isn't worth shit, it's worth something to me because he was a teammate and like I'll have two or three signed cards of O'Grady in my personal collection that tell a story. Like it's, that's, that's what it is to me is cards tell stories and that's, that's how I collect them. Oh, I think yeah. an O'Grady card. Yeah. I, I don't personally have one yet, but I'm hoping that hoping to get one here soon. The eBay market for O'Grady cards is actually pretty lucrative right now, which. Uh, hey, I know. And, uh, some, some really cool ones of his actually are his, uh, his Sapphire rookie cards. I think you were 2017 rookie, maybe, or 18 rookie O'Grady. You remember your rookie card? Might've been I debuted 19, in 19. Actually. Yeah. 19. So yeah, it might've Probably. been 19. Okay. I've opened so many cards over the last three years I that bet. like they've all they've all just meshed together. I know I have a few O'Grady's, <laughs> the uh, the old Tampa Bay Rays uniform. Yep. Yeah. Some good ones. But, uh, but no, <laughs> Sapphire Sapphire cards are like my favorite cards, the, the Sapphire editions. You also said that you like the shiny ones too, like those at the Topps Chrome edition, like that. For, yeah, I mean, so, I'm right there with you. Those things are sick. Yeah, Topps Chrome is like my favorite. I would call it like. I don't want to say uh, it's like the simple set, I guess, but then top Sapphire is kind of like the higher end version of tops Chrome. So it's tops Chrome is definitely my favorite product to open. Um, the home of the rookie autograph. It's all on card autographs on card autographs are my favorite. I, I personally don't like sticker autographs. I see these people opening $2,000 hobby boxes of basketball and they're guaranteed two autos and they're stickers. And it's like, I'm not paying two grand for a sticker auto. I'm just sorry. I'm not like the sticker. <laughs> you, me it. you mentioned your collection. Like they said on the, the Sunday night baseball broadcast when they were doing like the rundown of facts about Matt Strom, they're like, he has a spare bedroom in his house filled to the brim with baseball cards. Uh, is it that yeah. expansive? Uh, let's just say my wife's probably drawn up divorce papers once or twice. <laughs> over it. So it's, uh, she's, she's got her, She's got her uh, her Peloton in my guest bedroom, and uh, there's been multiple times she can't get to it, and she's uh, very frustrated. So, 
So there's a, uh, yeah, before, before I left for Florida spring training, my brother and I did some, uh, did some sorting, organizing and packing away. Uh, she'll come home to a spare bedroom that doesn't have many cards in it anymore. So she'll be happy this off season. That's very nice. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice. <laughs> yep. Exactly. I love it. Yep. That's awesome, dude. Yeah. Thank before we finish, we're going to get you. J.A. is going to hit you with the rapid fire before we get before we get you All out right. of here. But just right. thanks for coming on. This has been awesome. And of course, um, dude, anytime. Go ahead, J.A. Hit him with the uh, the last couple questions. Yeah. So I've so this is, a, this is an interesting one. I, I've noticed the, the lettuce that you have. It's the, some of the best hair I've ever yep. seen. But when was the last <laughs> actual haircut you've had? And what would be the situation for you to act, like have, have to actually like cut it off? So like actual haircut as in like not a trim? Yeah. Uh, so blew my knee out like July 9th, 2017. So that would be my last haircut. I got a haircut that day and then went to the field and blew out my knee and I haven't gotten a normal haircut since. Wow. That's, that's commitment. Like, yeah. When you're walking around Boston, does anybody? I know he doesn't look like this now, but is it? Does anybody mistake you for Johnny Damon? <laughs> no, no, I actually haven't gotten that one. Um, who do I? I mean, I'm getting tagged on Twitter all the time with people comparing me to other people. It's like, it's it's unreal. But uh, now in Boston, it's been chilly, so I've uh, I've had the fortunate to uh, roll to the ballpark with a hood on every day, so no one really the the lettuce is hidden on the way to the field. You could always throw some some sunglasses on and, and try to be PFT commenter. They could try that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we we maybe give it a whirl one day. <laughs> yeah, why not? Um, so you mentioned this earlier, but you said that you keep a, a rookie car from everybody that's taken you deep, hitting a home run off you. Like that's fascinating to me. Like, how do you like get over like the bad memories associated with? Because I'm sure pitchers, that's got to be the worst thing ever, giving up a home run. But like, how are you able to get over that and then able to collect this, the people that did it? Uh, I mean, it's my paychecks are a lot smaller than the ones that guys get paid to hit. So it's pretty easy to put my head on the pillow after it. I mean, again, I, I kind of, I don't know. It's, it's baseball. It's going to happen. Um, best ever do it. I've done it. So it's just on to the next one. And, uh, you know, again, it's cards tell stories and my box tells a lot of stories. Like every time I pick up that Yaz card out of the box, I know this dude took me to the Bay as a walk-off. Like, damn, that sucks. <laughs> and he took me to the Bay on a walk-off on a pitch. I absolutely nutted and hit my spot in his swing and miss zone, according to the analytic people. And I remember walking in after the, the club, <laughs> after that game, going over to the analytic people and throwing his, his spray chart on the table and being like swing and miss huh fucking threw it down on the table <laughs> like, absolutely done it 94 up and in and he turned on it yep it, again it's baseball dude you can swing it and happens. miss a, a hundred times and then that hundred first one's a grand slam with four ribbons like it's, it's baseball yeah, that's that's funny. So going back to North Dakota for a second, though, I, I, I've never been there. I, I don't know a ton about it, but like people that live there, obviously going back to like the winters and how cold they are. How cold does it have to be outside before somebody from North Dakota will admit it's cold outside? Uh, <laughs> I mean, I mean, so it's funny because like the, the first couple months of winter, they're like, oh, it's not bad. It's not bad. But then it's like all of a sudden 
they get like a glimpse of good weather and like I would say this happened to them about three weeks ago they got like a glimpse of good weather where it was like 55 degrees for like three days and then all of a sudden they got 12 inches of snow and it's like okay like so I would say it's it's not necessarily a temperature it's a it's a tipping point it's like after about I don't know 105 days of winter everyone's over it and then it's just like everything's cold this is miserable why do we live here all sorts of stuff and then and then you're there for the summer and you're like damn this is why i lived here like this is awesome and then halloween rolls around you got snow on the ground and it's do it all over again it's stay inside until summer yeah yeah i mean when you when you go outside and you take a breath in and it feels like you just put a piece of spearmint in and then drank ice water then you admit it's cold I, yeah, I'd say that's a pretty good threshold. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just had a couple more for you. So you got to play with our guy, Eric Hosmer. Uh, I might be yeah. the new, like, de facto president of the Eric Hosmer fan club. Like, just how okay. awesome is it, was it to play with him? And do you, was there any, any cool interactions stand out for, with him? I mean, yeah, he's an unbelievable teammate. This is actually my first big league season. Him and I haven't been teammates. So, uh, you know, he's, uh, yeah, going to miss that dude. But, uh, I mean, just to, I mean, I don't have like one particular thing, but just just the respect that he gets. And it's not like he doesn't demand it by any means. He's earned every ounce of respect he has. And you just see the charisma he carries himself with. And when he walks into a, a clubhouse, like you just he's the guy. And like, you, I mean, you can't can't put I mean, no team can figure out what chemistry quantifies as and Hosmer brings an unbelievable amount of chemistry to any clubhouse he walks into and I think that is a characteristic that I mean not many people have at all and he's he's unreal he's an unbelievable teammate like that's I think that's the best compliment you can have as a player is that you're the best teammate and he's one of the best teammates I've ever had the best yeah I, I loved our conversation with him a couple weeks ago um all right last one for you uh what's the best piece of advice you've ever received <laughs> so something i live by pedro gafal was our bench coach in kansas city and i was struggling a little bit in 17 and he came up to me and he goes matt you're a fast pitcher i was like i'm a what he goes yeah you're a fast pitcher you're either going to get out of the inning fast or we're going to take you out fast. So just attack. And I was like, all right, I love that. Like you're a fast pitcher. I was like, I've never heard that. And uh, I, I kind of love it. And that's kind of, that's my mentality now is just go out there, attack. It's going to happen quick. And that's what it is. That's hilarious. Yeah. That's hilarious. I, I, like he caught me off guard. I was like, a fast pitcher. Like, like I was like thinking to myself, cause this was my rookie year. I was like, I mean, I throw like 94, 95, but like, that's not fast. <laughs> like, what do you mean I'm a fast pitcher? Like, what? And yeah, so that, that, that would be that. That's great. Dude, Dude thank you so much for uh, for coming on here with us. It's been so much fun just to catch yeah. up. And, and man, here, all about the North Dakota stuff. That's great, man. That was, uh, I love the brick wall thing. I think that's awesome. Oh, yeah. Dude, looking forward to watching you pitch the rest of this year, and and I'll be rooting for the Sox. And, man, just keep in touch. Hopefully we'll get you back on here in a little bit. Thank you, dude. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. we Will do. Best of luck to you as well.
And before we get out of here, a special thank you to the band Stick Figure for allowing us to use today's intro and outro music. Playing on your radio, coming through your stereo. And-